All right, let's pray and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for uh, this good day and for the bit of moisture that we had that's always welcome. We are concerned today for the folks uh, on the coast of Texas and Louisiana with the big storm coming and we pray for protection. And Father, that the winds might lessen and the tides not be as high as predicted, just uh, spare life and property, we pray. And, uh, Father, we just uh, trust you completely and and uh, pray that as we have an opportunity to minister to the needs of people in our area this week, that we would be sensitive to your leadership. I thank you for everyone who's joined us. I pray your blessing upon our time together in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, may it be not just a time of learning, but a time of spiritual growth for each of us. And uh, speak to our hearts that we will hear your voice speaking to us from your word. And hearing your voice, we will obey and do what you want us to do. Bless us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, nine, Luke chapter 9, verse 46. So we'll start there. And what I've entitled this passage, which goes through verse 62, four words that describe a Christian. Four words that describe a Christian. So here we go, verse 46, and I'm just going to get it all in front of us. I'm going to go all the way through 62. And then we'll talk about it. All right, here we go. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Now, does that ever amaze you? Have you ever engaged in a discussion like that? Honestly, maybe not that blatant, but comparing yourself to someone else and thinking you came off looking pretty good. Oh, you know, but this astonishes me that the disciples would have that kind of discussion. So Jesus, verse 47, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. So here's a living illustration, a little child. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for it is the one who is least among you, who is the greatest. Now there is the lesson Jesus is teaching his disciples. The one who is the least among you all is the greatest. Now, in verse 49, John says something. He makes a response. And personally, looking at this text, I believe John was right in the middle of the discussion of who's the greatest And I believe he is now um, red in the face with embarrassment. And so he is anxious to deflect the conversation in another direction. And so he says, Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. So really what John has done is go from the frying pan to the fire because Jesus responds, do not stop him. For whoever is not against you is for you. We'll come back and look at all that in a minute. So go to verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So I've highlighted with my yellow highlighter the word resolutely because Jesus was not timidly shuffling his way to Jerusalem. He set out resolutely knowing all that lay before him. He is determined to follow the will of God, to fulfill the plan of God, 
So he steps out resolutely to go to Jerusalem. Now, verse 52, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was headed for heading for Jerusalem. Now, we have previously extensively talked about the division between the Jews and the Samaritans, so I'm not going to delve into that again. Just to remind you, there is an enormous division between these um, semi-relatives, the Jews and the Samaritans. They genuinely do not like each other. They worship differently. And so the, the Samaritans know that Jesus and his disciples are headed for Jerusalem, and therefore they do not welcome them. So when the disciples, James and John, saw this, They ask, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Sons of thunder speaking there. But Jesus, this is not a good day for John, okay? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. So we'll delve into that in a minute. Let's go on and finish the chapter. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So Jesus is saying, sir, do you really know what you're talking about? Are you really willing to follow me? I don't even have a place to call my home. I don't have a bed that's mine. Do you realize what you're saying when you say I'm going to follow you? Verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, if if you're not real familiar with this passage, don't get mad at Jesus. We're going to explain what he meant when he said that, as well as explain what the man said when he said, let me go bury my dad. Okay, verse 61. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but... now." I've often commented on the conjunction, but, because it's a great word. Great word. God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's a but in a lot of places in the Bible that turns everything around. Well, here, we need to be careful about saying, I'll follow you, Lord, but. Don't put a but after saying, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll obey you. I'll follow you. Don't put a but. Just say, I'll do it and do it. Okay. So Jesus has a reply for the man. He says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Okay. So let's, let's examine these, these verses. In verse 46, 47, 48, there's an amazing argument among the disciples. Quite frankly, I view it as childish and, and I have never been childish before the Lord. I expected George to reply to that some way, but he didn't say a word. (laughs) I have been childish before the Lord. Maybe you have also. The disciples are, this is childish. And Jesus, therefore, takes a child and sets him in front of them and, and, and turns their worldly thinking upside down. They're, they're concerned with who's greatest and You know, elsewhere it talks about who's going to sit at the right hand of 
Jesus when he comes into his kingdom and who's going to sit at his left hand. And so that's the kind of discussion that they're having here. But Jesus turns their thinking upside down and wants to be sure that they know humility describes the Christian. So when I told you earlier, we're going to give four words that describe a Christian. Word number one in this text, there are a lot of words that describe a Christian, but in this text, the first word is humility. And I would submit to you, humility is in short supply. Was then, is now. Humility is probably not front and center in the media unless it's a documentary on Mother Teresa. Otherwise, humility does not seem to be highly valued. It's in short supply. Now, remember this, as Jesus talks to the disciples and to us, the messenger is always lower than the message. Now, I'm not talking about Jesus talking. I'm talking about us sharing, proclaiming. The messenger is always lower than the message. The disciples want to be sure they remember that as they go out. And we're going to get to text today, I think, where they Jesus sends them out. The main thing, the main thing is not the giver of the message, but the God that's in the message, the Christ that's in the message. So if we're going to boast, let's boast in the Lord, not in ourselves. So there is a good word that should describe the believer in Jesus, and that is the word humility, humble, humbleness, humility. Now, we go to verse 49 and 50, and there's a second word that should describe the believer, and that is the word cooperation. Now, there are a lot of words to describe believers, and I'm going to give you four from this text. The first is humility. The second is cooperation. The point here for you and I in 2020 is to remember that we should work with other believers in the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the ministering to the needs of people in our world. Here we have the disciples, particularly James and John, or or John, uh, opposing one who is doing the work of God, but opposing him because they don't know him. And he's not from their clique. He's not from their team. He's not from their band of merry band of disciples. And so John can't fathom that there might be somebody outside of his circle who would actually be doing the work of God. And so he's, he's critical and says, Hey, Jesus, I know you'll be glad to hear this. You'll be really proud of what we did, but we, we stopped that guy. We told him you quit driving out demons. Say what? <laughs> you know, he's driving out demons. He's doing good stuff. And so John told, said, well, I told him to stop because he's not one of us. So Jesus pets John on the back and says, that a boy, right? Wrong. No, he does not. In fact, he rebukes John and, and quite frankly, wants John to understand that this notion is, is, is silly, that we should work with, cooperate 
with those who genuinely do the work of God. And so in our context today, we cooperate with other believers who may not go to a church that has the same name on it that we have on our church, but they are people who love Jesus and they are serving Jesus. And so we join hands with them and cooperate together to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to minister in the name of Jesus. There, there are lots of ministries in our community of with which our church is uh, very much involved. You, you think just of a couple of them, um, Helping Hands Ministry, um, Family Promise, and there's a there's there's a bunch of them that we're involved in. So you know about those ministries. Do we do it all by ourselves? First Baptist, we do it all. We no, of course not. We couldn't. So we join together with other brothers and sisters in Christ, and we do the work of God with hands joined together. So, second word, first word, humility, second word, cooperation. Third word, third word, a lot of words describe Christians, but in this context, there are three I want to point out, and the third one is mercy. Mercy. Okay, let's move on. No, we're going to talk about it. You know, you may be saying, I don't want to talk about mercy. Well, yeah, you do because you're the recipient of it. And so we should also be willing to show it to others. So in verse 51 through 56, Jesus says, uh, go into the Samaritan village. Get things ready for us to come there. We'll stay. We'll spend the night. We'll, we'll visit there. And uh, they aren't well received because they're Jews headed for Jerusalem. The Samaritans don't want anything to do with them. They're not interested in what Jesus has to say, and so they are really saying, keep moving. We don't want you here. So James and John, again, intending to be helpful, say to Jesus, this is wrong, so why don't we call fire down on them and just wipe them out? Um, Have you ever thought that? about somebody or something or some entity or some group? Yes, I have. And I've even thought a few times, wouldn't it be delicious if Jesus would just wipe them out? Well, I hope you'll forgive me for admitting that as your pastor. But it's true, I've thought that. But then when you stop and think, well, what if... Christ had done that to me in my sin or in my rebellion or in the days before you gave your life to Christ. What what if Jesus had said, you know, you aren't worth saving. I'm just going to wipe you out. But instead, we're the recipients of his grace and his mercy. And he says to us, mercy ought to be the mark of, of a Christian. Forgiveness, grace, mercy. Um, the Samaritans don't want to listen to us then let's just move on. Jesus doesn't say wipe them out. He says, let's, let's just move on. And perhaps you could look at it this way. Um, they aren't going to come back. Jesus isn't. But the disciples could. And maybe next time they'll listen. But remember this from James 1.20. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So remember that. Uh, the next time you get mad and want to wipe somebody out, 
just remember you're the recipient of mercy and grace and let's extend some to others. Um, there's no need to argue with the Samaritans. There's no need to destroy them. Let's just move on. There are others who are waiting to hear and they will receive the gospel. Now, remember in regard to judgment, uh, we warn of the judgment to come, but we don't call it down. That's not our job. We warn and we say to people, there's a day coming when uh, God will judge the living and the dead, but we're not the ones who call it down. God will do that in his time. Okay, now there's a fourth word that describes a Christian in this context. And that fourth word is sacrifice. It's sacrifice. Look again at verses 57 to 62 through the end of the chapter. Okay, there's here's the first person. For person number one, I'll follow you wherever you go. That sounds good, doesn't it? Uh, really? Do you really mean that? Do you know what it means to follow me? So Jesus said, I just want you to know if you really mean that, here, here's, here's what it means. At, at a minimum, it may, I don't have a place to call my own. I don't have a place that's mine to, to lay my head. And I'm moving around from place to place to place to place. And half the people that I speak to would rather kill me than listen to me. And so do you know what you're saying when you say, I'll go, I'll follow you wherever you go? Now, I don't know this guy's heart. Maybe the, maybe what this man liked was, seeing the miracles of Jesus. And he, he said, oh, boy, I'd love to see a lot of those. I'll follow you. I, or maybe he thought, like some of the disciples thought, that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to establish the kingdom once again and the, to establish the throne of David and drive the Romans out and free us from slavery. And so maybe that's what he was thinking. But apparently he didn't fully understand, else Jesus wouldn't have needed to say what he said. So we just wanted him to, now when we share Christ with others, we talk about being a Christian. Um, be sure that you don't tell people if you give your life to Christ, uh, nothing bad will ever happen to you again. You'll prosper. You'll have everything you want. Life will be good. You won't get sick. We know that's not true. Don't, don't, don't tell people that we go through everything everybody else goes through, except we have Christ with us when we go through those deep waters, but be sure we speak truth. And Jesus is saying to this guy, Hey, listen, here's what it means to follow me. And if, if you want to do that, knowing what it means and come on, but just think about it. Here's what it means to follow me. Now, um, so that's the word sacrifice. And there's a second man and he says, I want to follow you. Jesus says, come follow me. Come on. And this uh, guy says, man alive, I'm in. But, but, but first, can I go and bury my father? Now, in English, we look at that and we think, oh, man, the guy's father died and he's got to go bury him. Uh, and why is Jesus so hard-hearted to say, come on right now, let the dead bury you, let you get your family bury your dead father? No, no, that's not what's happened here. In fact, in, you know, in Jewish society, you've got 24 hours to bury the dead. He'd already, if he had died, he'd already be in the ground. But what the man is saying is, let me go back. And when my father dies, then I'll come 
and I'll follow you. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's just make a projection here. This guy could have been in his 20s, in which case his father probably is in his 40s. So you catch the implication there of how long it might have been before his father died and he buried him and divided the inheritance and then he comes to follow Jesus. Even if this man is, is, is in his 50s, his father is probably in his 70s, and he's not at death's door yet. Those of us who are 70 would say, not not yet. <laughs> so uh, so the meaning there is not Jesus being cruel to a man who just lost his father. Jesus is saying, no, if you're going to follow me, you can't go back and wait for however long it is for your father to die so you can get your inheritance. You need to come on right now and follow me. Now, that's the message. Now, here's the third person. Third person says, uh, let me go back. I need to say goodbye to my family. Can I, can I go back and say goodbye to my family? Well, again, we think, well, what's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with it is Jesus sees right into the heart of this individual and knows what he's thinking. And Jesus said, no, you want to go back and have a party and you want to say goodbye and stretch it out over a month. And And I'm just telling you, if you're going to follow me, you need to come on right now and, and follow me. So what's the outcome of that? Well, I suspect there are three folks there who did not come and follow Jesus. That, that's the implication. Uh, some texts, in, in, including mine in my scripture, have a heading over this that says the cost of following Jesus or the cost of discipleship. And so we need to think, what what is it? Well, it certainly means come on, follow me right now. Turn away from everything else. Come follow me. So what's so impressive? Do you remember when Jesus called Levi, Matthew? Uh, Levi's got a lot of money, and he's making money hand over fist as a tax collector. And Jesus looks at him and says, come follow me. And Matthew just leaves it all and follows Jesus. Just walks away from a wealthy lifestyle, a lifestyle that was empty. And, and Matthew left it all to follow Jesus. That's what Jesus is talking about. Come follow me. He doesn't mean 10 years from now. He means right now. Come follow me. Now, I, in the, in the ministry, I cannot tell you how many times people have said to me, and mostly men, more likely than women, have said to me, I, yeah, I, I'm going to get things God and I are going to get right one of these days. I, I just need a little more time. One of these days out there, I'm going to get right with God. Oh, yeah? I'm telling you, you better do it now. You don't have the guarantee of way out there somewhere. If you're going to get right with God, you better do it right now. Well, okay, so there are those four words that ought to mark a Christian. Now, there are a whole lot of other words that, should be the mark of a Christian. Uh, love would would be one, uh, and, the, and there are many grace. There are many others, but here are four. So, how'd you do? You measure up pretty good. You think those four are a description of you, or would you say, well, three? That's not bad, is it? Three out of four, or you might be saying <clears throat> two out of four. Okay. It should be four out of four. So let's uh, pray it through and ask God to help us. All right. Now we're going to go to chapter 10. And what we're going to find there is uh, 
uh, five words that describe our sharing of the gospel. Okay, five words that describe our sharing of the gospel. So once again, I'm going to read the whole thing. So hang in there, get your Bibles, look at it. Verse 1, chapter 10. After this, the previous stories, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Now that's reassuring that there were more followers of Jesus than just the 12. And so he takes those 72, sends them out two by two. How many, how many teams is that? 36 teams. He sends them out, go from town to village. And remember the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. By the way, asterisk that. Remember, you may be the answer to your own prayers. Send out laborers into the harvest field, Lord. And the Lord may say to you, may, I'm not saying he will, but he may say to you, uh, yes, I'm, I'm going to answer that prayer and you are going to be the answer to that prayer because I want you to go here, go there, talk to this person. However God answers that, you may be the answer to your own prayers. Verse 3, go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Um, you know, when, when a coach sends his team out into the field for a football game, do you think there's ever been one who said, now, you, you little lambs, you just head out there to face those big bad wolves? What kind of picture would that give the team? Our coach believes we're going to get slaughtered. So Jesus says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. But lest they be fearful, Jesus wants them to know I'm with you and I'll meet every need because he says, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. And if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay, therefore, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And when you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it is it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you'll go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 return. Now, so they go out, do what Christ tells them. They come back. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, 
I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. This is the power they have. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy, uh, through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Now, who's he talking about the learned? Oh, Pharisees, scribes, teachers of the law. But you've revealed them to little children. Who are they? The disciples. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he returned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Okay. All right. Let's... uh Let's look at this passage, five words that describe our sharing of the gospel. It's a strategy, if you would, for those 72 disciples and for us. So verses 1 and 2 give us the first word. And what's the first word? Praying. Prayer. Praying. That's the first word. That's the first part of the strategy for our sharing of the gospel. So, uh, Jesus appointed them, sent them out two by two, and he talks about, let's pray, the Lord of the harvest, send out workers into his harvest field. There are more who are needed to share the gospel. So we're commanded to pray. And as I mentioned earlier, in a sense, we are our own answer for the prayer for laborers. So as we sit at home and pray, as we sit in church and pray, Wherever it is that we pray for workers to go out to the harvest field, preface your prayer with this, Lord, I I want workers to go to the harvest field. And, Lord, if you want me to be one of those, then you tell me and I'll go. Now, some of you physically aren't in a position to do that anymore. But there still may be a family member or a friend or neighbor who comes to see you for whom you are the answer to that prayer as you share Jesus with them. So we want more to go out from our church and other gospel-believing churches to the ends of the earth to share the good news of Jesus Christ because the fields are white already to harvest. So we pray and we share, and the harvest is ripe. So don't be consumed by what you don't know. Be consumed by what you do know. And that is this message. Jesus saves. You know that, don't you? We can share that. Jesus saves. Pray for more to go. Pray for those who are the answers to that prayer to go, to go in all the world. And isn't it good to be part of a church that all the time, except for COVID years, sends people to the ends of the earth to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's good. We're going to get back to that. You know, not much we can do about it right at the moment, except pray and minister here in a community. But the time is coming, and we'll have people going back out all across uh, all across the world. 
All right, so uh, there's a second word, verses 3 and 4, this part of the strategy, and that is the word humility. Go, I'm sending you out like wolves, lambs among wolves, and don't take a bunch of stuff with you. Uh, just, Just go. I'm going to meet your needs. Don't be weighed down by things of the world. Um, and, and as you go, you're lambs among wolves. So I'm telling you, not everybody's going to like your message. And it may get dangerous. It may get dangerous. But don't don't worry. I'm going to be with you. And, and what's the worst that could happen? Well, Master, they could kill me. That, that's true. That is, they, they could do that. But what happens to you if that happens? Oh, I get to be with you. Exactly. So don't worry. I'm in control. It's okay. So we go like lambs, humbly. We go with humility, not with pride, not with boasting, not with arrogance. But we go in in humility. And he will supply what you need. Now, some of you on these pages have been on a whole lot of mission trips, maybe all over the world or all over America or all over Texas or all over town. Um, Humility should mark us. I have been with a few people from, from time to time to whom we have to have a little conversation um, quietly on the trip such as those who, who want to say in another country, uh, they, they want to spend all their time talking about the greatness of America and how your pitiful country is so poor, and aren't you glad we're here? Uh, the, that's not what you want to say. You can be proud to be an American, but at, at, at a time like that, you just humbly keep that to yourself, and you proclaim Jesus and, and seek to meet the needs of people um, that's what we're there for. So uh, we go in humility. He will meet our needs. We go in meekness, which does not mean weakness. Remember the word meek in the scripture is the same word that's used to describe a horse under authority. So in other words, a horse has been tamed, got a saddle on its back. That's the word meek does not mean the horse is weak. Believe me, it does not mean that. It just means that horse is under authority. And so we, in humility, are under the authority of God as we go out. The third word is the word peace in verses 5 through 8. I love love the passage. When, When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. Have you heard the term, we're looking for a man of peace? We go into Muslim countries or Hindu countries. And we are looking for a man of peace. That is a man who is open to our, open to us and may even be one who was expecting us, though we've never laid eyes on him before. We've shared stories. You know those stories of, of how our, our missionaries or us on trips have encountered people and, and to have them, a Muslim or Hindu say, I've been expecting you. And for us to say, you were? Oh, yes, I had a dream. I had a vision that somebody was coming to tell me about Jesus, and here you are. Or I, one even that our missionaries brought back, our, one of our teams brought back from uh, India was the, the, the person who, who said, I, I, was, I had a dream 
that somebody was going to come dressed in white riding a motorcycle. And that's exactly the way the messenger had come, dressed in white, not robes, just white clothes, riding a motorcycle. And that Hindu had already dreamed that this person was coming. So that, these things happen. They happen. The man of peace. So someone says, come on in. I want to hear what you have to say. So Jesus says, pronounce peace upon them. But if they say, hey, I want you here, get out, get off my, get off my porch, then we pull that peace back and we don't call fire down on them. We just call that peace back and we move on. But don't move from house to house where you find one that receives you. Stay there. You don't want to look like you're going around trying to get money in different houses. You just want to stay there where you're welcome and make that your base of operations from which to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, everybody who's been on an, a mission trip to a, a different kind of place will love verse 8. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is offered to you. <laughs> Gulp. <laughs> Eat what is offered to you. I want you to know that I am the world's best. I've learned how to do this. I've learned how to move food around on my plate so that it looks like I have eaten a substantial portion of it when in reality I haven't eaten much at all. But, you know, that's an art to, to, to do that. But the truth of the matter is you, you can't, you don't want to offend your hosts. You eat what they put in front of you, and you say, Lord, help me. And he will. He will. Eat what's put in front of you. Barbara Springer, you're on here. So I, I'll, you're such a good trooper to let me always tell this story about you. Marion, you were there. We were in um, in a Buddhist temple eating a meal set before us. The Buddhist priest said, don't talk, just eat. So we're all real quiet. And they said, uh, you got to eat. Don't take food if you don't want it. Because we expect everything on your plate, you will eat it all. Well, I have no problem with that. So, so we're, and they came around, bringing, bring a big bowl of corn on the cob. So all of us, all of us Americans, we're taking corn on the cob and we chow down on it. And, and remember they said, eat everything that's put in front of you. So my friend of 40 something years, Barbara Springer sitting beside me and I look over. And Barbara's eating the corn cob. I mean, she's cleaned off the corn, and now she's eating the corn cob. And and I said, Barbara, what are you doing? Well, they said eat everything's put in front of us. No, they didn't mean the corn cob. They just meant the corn on the cob. So the great relief came to my sister as she put that corn cob down because nobody really wants. I mean, I you know you don't want to do that. So. You know, it says, eat what's put in front of you. Okay, here we are. We'll eat what's put in front of us. And uh, when you come into a town, if they welcome you, uh, awesome. If they don't, then shake the dust off your feet and, and, and move on. And Jesus said it'll be more tolerable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for the place where they reject the good news of Jesus Christ. So we come in humility and we come, um, we come in peace and we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, um, there's just enough time to get the next word in, and the next word is boldness. That, that, so we go in boldness, not cockiness, but in boldness. You know, you have to, you have to 
share at some point. It's one thing to go, but when you get to where you're going, then it's time to speak. So you have to be bold enough to share what God's laid on your heart. In verses 9 through 16, Jesus is saying, speak with courage. The message needs to be heard. The message is true. The message does not change on the basis of how people respond to the message. In fact, their response is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to share, and the Holy Spirit takes it from there. So the the, the fourth word is boldness, and I I think I can get the fifth word in so that we can start um, in verse 25 next time. By the way, you know what the next story is? Good Samaritan. Don't you love that story? So that'll be next Wednesday. So the fifth word is joy, verses 17 through 24. Rejoice, Jesus says, over names written in heaven. Rejoice that God has revealed truth to us. Rejoice that you are alive today and can see all that you see. Because, Jesus says, you see more than the prophets see. They wanted to see what you have the privilege of seeing And, of course, yes, he was talking to the 72, but he's also talking to us. What a day to be alive. Now, not many people are going to look back on 2020 with extreme um, rejoicing. You know, we're going to remember 2020 as um, the year of uh, the COVID virus and all that that brought upon us. Um, there are other things that have happened. You know, we got fires, we got earthquakes, we got hurricanes, we got all kinds of things going on. And so, when we think about 2020, most people are not going to do cartwheels. But understand, it's the biggest time in history to be alive. We get to see things and hear things that the prophets didn't hear and didn't see. We are a blessed people to live when we live, to live where we live and to have the privileges we have, and to get to share the good news of Jesus Christ here and literally to the ends of the earth. Now, um, we know that the scripture tells us that there are some hard days coming. We've talked about that in church. We've talked about that in uh, tune-up. There are some hard days coming, harder than 2020. And so, we just know there's going to be persecution. There's going to be suffering. Would you go through some of it? I don't know. God may take you home before you, you or I experience it. Um, but you probably have some kids and grandkids and, you know, things like that's, I'm, 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 I'm classified as a senior citizen. And though I would like to live a long time, you know, I know. I'm getting there. I'm getting closer and closer to the end. So at that, you know, all that stuff doesn't bother me about persecution. I mean, I don't want to go. I'm not standing in line begging for it, but I'm not worried about it. But I've got, I got kids and their spouses in their forties and I've got grandkids who are teenagers and, and lower. And I do spend a significant amount of time praying for them because I do, I am concerned about some of what they may face. And and so I have to really pray through that and give it to the Lord and just ask him to help them, protect them, help them to stand strong and firm for Jesus. Uh, that, because that's all you can do. 
Well, okay, so here we go. Next time, Good Samaritan. How old were you when you first heard that story? Well, some of you may have said, I don't know what the story is. Okay, good. Next week we'll get it. Some of you may say, I may have been three or four years old when I first heard that story. So whether you've heard it a hundred times or never, we're going to look at one of the greatest stories in all the scripture next week, the story of the Good Samaritan. That's where we'll start, and then we'll move on. Okay, any comments you want to make? I'm going to pray. Stay on as long as you want to stay. Well, no, let me take that back. You can't stay as long as you want to stay because I've got work for Vicky to do, and she can't just sit and look at you for the next two hours. But um, you can stay on a little while if you'd like to do that because I know you don't get to visit with each other very often, so please feel free to do that. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your precious word. We love you, we adore you, we worship you, and pray you'll bless us now as we continue our opportunities of this day. Bring us together next week again for the study of your precious word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, God bless you all.